All right, we'll take just a moment. We'll dismiss children for Children's Church. So four years old up through second grade. You can head upstairs at this time. While they're doing that, I want to just ask that you bear with me a little bit this morning. I'm working on a little cough, a little something in the throat that's just playing with my voice a little bit. So we're going to get through this as best we can. If I need to step aside for a moment, take a drink, I'll do that. But nonetheless, this won't hinder God's word that he has from us from the scriptures today. I'm excited to just continue on in this book of Colossians and just seeing the exalted nature of Jesus Christ. We're going to be looking today at an interesting passage of scripture that really brings to the foreground what is it about false teachers that have looked at Christ and found him to be wanting and so they decide that there's something that must be added to Christ in order to gain some higher level of spirituality, and then how do they take that power that is within themselves and lord it over the people to listen? So there's some interesting dynamic in the text of Scripture we'll be looking at today that really gives us a background look into false teachers and false teaching of why do people go for this? Why do they fall for it anyway? What is deficient, supposedly, about Christ and then how is this manipulated or lorded over people to also follow this false teaching? So we'll get into that here in just a moment. You know, many years ago, the well-known Christian writer C.S. Lewis, he was giving a guest lecture at King's College in London. As part of this lecture that he was giving, he talked about people's desire to be in the inner circle. And he said that this is probably one of the greatest permanent mainsprings of human action. If you want to get people to move, you want to get them to do something, they'll move and gravitate towards wanting to be in the inner circle, wanting to be in that in-group, if you will. He said people are willing to do almost anything to be accepted into that inner circle. We probably might see this most prominently in the junior high, senior high years, and that, that setting where to, to be in and in the in-crowd, but whether it's the junior high, senior high years or the adult years, Christian or non, you definitely see this gravitational pull for people to want to do things and be willing to even compromise who they are or things that they believe in order to be a part of that inner circle. And as if the internal desire and passion is not dangerous enough there when it comes to that line of thought, the real destruction's done when someone gains control of that inner circle and uses manipulation and uses pressure to get people to do their wishes. There's a dangerous concoction when these two parties get together then. Someone who has a desire to be accepted by a party or that, to be in that inner circle and then a lust for, and, and a thirst for control of the people that have that inner circle dominance. Our text of Scripture today We'll see how the Apostle Paul exposes false teachers for using these techniques of peer pressure, using techniques of manipulation, and casting judgment. And he's going to warn Christians, do not give in to these manipulative techniques. Don't give in to peer pressure. Don't give in to manipulation. Don't give in to the fact that someone is looking to cast judgment on you, saying that you are deficient in some way because all you have is Christ. This is going to be the warning of the Apostle Paul. You know, we've been spending a few weeks now studying Paul's warnings against false teachers and teachings. 
And I'm still convinced that we probably are, uh, are yet unaware of how much media and data comes across our lives, comes into our minds and our hearts that could potentially be false teaching that we would latch on to. And so we are spending a number of weeks in this, but it is, it is so uh, good for our souls and good for our minds to hear and to understand that what Paul is lifting up is the bare work of Jesus Christ. Last week, we looked at how when we have Christ, he is the only one in all of the world that can bring us a new heart. He is the only one who can forgive us of all of our sins, that little three-letter word, all. Christ is the only one that can do that. Christ is the one who, in him alone, took our written records of sin, brought it to his cross, and nailed it to the cross. He took all of that from us and gave us nothing but righteousness and salvation and forgiveness in that place. And so Paul is lifting up Christ as the only thing we need for full spiritual satisfaction and truly walking before God in holiness. And it is God's pleasure that we would be forgiven through his son, Jesus Christ, and what he's done on the cross. So it's paramount that we have that picture in mind. And now Paul is beginning to look at the landscape and say, all, be warned. Be warned of all of the things out there that are not according to Christ and him alone. Paul was not just concerned with the delivering truth and the things that are true. He's also very concerned with guarding us against falsehood. Paul is running both a defense and an offense here. Offensively, yes, Christ, pursue him with all you have. He alone is the satisfaction of your souls. He alone lifts the guilt and the sorrow and the shame from us because in his righteousness we have been saved. So he's running an offense, but he's also running defensively. He's running a defense here to say, also beware of any who come along or any in-group or crowd or something that springs up and might even look on the surface as being legitimate. Be very, very careful that they are preaching and teaching what is Christ and Christ alone. So far, Paul has been emphasizing the blessings and the benefits that we have in Christ. His main point in Colossians chapter 2 up to this uh, up to the verses that we're looking at today, could probably be summarized like this. Since you have all these spiritual blessings in Christ, and since Christ and Him alone only can give these blessings to you, why would you look for anything else? There's nothing else to gain. Outside of Christ, apart from Christ, in addition to Christ, there's nothing there. There's nothing more to gain. And so take Christ and all of Christ and only Christ. He gives you your spiritual blessings, your spiritual benefits. He feeds and fills your soul, and he does this forevermore. In today's text, Paul's going to expose some of these tactics, some of these strategies that false teachers use in order to draw people into their web of falsehood. Titled this morning's message, how to guard against false teaching, and this is the fourth part in Colossians chapter 2 that we've been looking at. Today's message, this fourth part, is going to give special attention to the way that false teachers put pressure, the way that they put guilt upon their listeners in such a way that their listeners would say, well, I, 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 can't, uh, I can't escape, then I, I need, the, there, there's a guilt upon me, there's a pressure, I must be missing out on something. 
So we'll be looking at three of these strategies this morning that false teachers deploy in order to gain listeners to their falsehood. So turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 16 through 19 this morning. And the first way that we can say there's a strategy that the Apostle Paul lays out for us here, coming in verse 16, is that false teachers use manipulation. There's a way in which they manipulate. And false teachers spiritually manipulate people by pressuring them with judgment on things that they're not doing. There there will be a, a pressure mounting. We'll see it as we look at verses 16 and 17 here. But they like to lob pressure on to people as though they're not doing something and they're missing out. And this puts a guilt and a judgment people to give in. This is all manipulation. Look with me at Colossians 2 verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. So he's just finished talking about all of the blessings and the benefits in Christ, and now he's going to again issue this warning. Therefore, now because of all of that, do not let, this is a burden upon us as the listeners, brothers and sisters, do not let someone come along and pass judgment on you. Don't let that burden sink on your shoulders. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Now, the first thing we notice here in verse 16 is that a false teacher is looking to put pressure on his listeners by judging them. That is a strategy of a false teacher. Put pressure on the listeners um, by judging them, making them feel small, making them feel like they're left out, making them feel like they've not done something. We know that Scripture actually addresses this matter of judging others. Jesus himself took up this very topic in Matthew chapter 7. These famous words when Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged. And that sounds like an open and closed case, doesn't it? I mean, who wants to be judged? Judge not that you be not judged. But in the very next verses, Jesus said at the same time, he calls on his followers to help remove a speck in a brother's eye. These specks of moral stains or these specks of shortfallings. So this actually does take some form of judgment to do that. Now he said, remove the log that is in your own eye first. But we are to have some discernment, some type of judgment. So so then what's going on? Would we say in in the words and the teaching of Jesus that we are to judge or not to judge? The simple answer to this is that there are two kinds of judgment. There's two kinds of judgment that can take place. One kind of judgment looks down on a person only to condemn them. It's a, a throwing heaviness of judgment down on a person just to condemn. The other kind of judgment looks compassionately to evaluate and to offer help. It is a building up. One of this kind of judgment is harsh and condescending. The other is gentle and it's repairing. One kind of judgment feels like the enemy. One kind of judgment feels like family or a friend. So what Paul is addressing here, though, is that a false teacher is one who is using the negative, wrong kind of judgment. It's manipulative. He's manipulating his listeners by condemning them for what they're not doing. That is the tone of verse 16. 
Look at all of the things that you're not doing, and we are going to judge you for this. We see these activities here in verse 16. We immediately would recognize these as Jewish observances. Let's look again at what he says. He mentions food and drink, festivals, a new moon, or a Sabbath. So these are Jewish observances, these festivals that they would have multiple times a year, these monthly sacrifices at the new moons that would be taking place regularly, the Sabbath, and the food and drink reference here is most likely speaking about fasting or some kind of selective food prohibitions like the Nazarite vow. Paul's argument is that all of these things are but a shadow. They're but a hologram. The reality is in Christ. We see this in verse 17. He says, these are a shadow of the things to come. The substance belongs to Christ. What a beautiful word picture. You could have a picture of a food, or you could have the real food. You could have a hologram that looks very real, but your hand would go through it because it is just a mirage. You can have a hologram, or you can have the real thing. What the Apostle Paul is saying is that when you have Christ, you have the substance. All of those things were but a picture leading to it. Now you are satisfied. Don't let anyone heap upon you guilt and manipulate you with judgment because you are not doing certain things. The application for us here is this. One surefire way to recognize false teachers and false teaching is to identify if they have a condescending atmosphere and a condemning atmosphere. If they're keeping a checklist of do's and don'ts for you and allowing that to lord over you, the sentiment is that they would be speaking and teaching and in this atmosphere have it this way, hey, spiritual people do these things. Spiritual people dress this way. Spiritual people eat this way. Spiritual people celebrate this way. Spiritual people do this. So are you doing this? And if you're not, here comes the guilt and the manipulation. Here comes the judgment if you are not doing these things. So they would look down and condemn on those who don't. They manipulate with judgmental pressure. Paul says, don't be manipulated. Don't let that pressure come to you. The substance is Christ. If you have Christ, these things are of no value to add to your spiritual stepping ladder. Don't allow yourself to be manipulated by those who demand and command these things. We look on in verse 18, though, to find out it's not just manipulation that would be a false strategy. It's also disqualification. False teachers will seek to spiritually disqualify you by insisting on certain additions to your life. So whereas verses 16 and 17 would be asking the question, do you do this? Do you do this? Do you do this? Verse 18 here says, you must add these things. This is what you must be doing. Look with me at verse 18. Let no one... Again, we have a burden here to listen. We have a burden to hear these warnings from Paul. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason, 
by his sensuous mind. He really attacks, even though it's not by name, he attacks the false teacher that is spreading many of these teachings in the area of Colossae. And he says what he really has is a puffed up mind. This is all about pride, even though it is vaguely, uh, maybe on the surface, it looks like he's spiritual. It's nothing but pride hidden underneath. And isn't it interesting that this false teacher would peddle all of these things to add while what he's really doing is opening people up to a far worse sin, and that is of pride. We get back to verse 18 here. Don't let anyone disqualify you, insisting you must, you must, you must add. So verse 16, they were saying, questioning what you weren't doing here in verse 18. It's a concern of insisting that a person adds something into their life. The problem is that they are considering Jesus as deficient. These false teachers have looked at the message of Jesus Christ. That if you would cast your faith alone in Christ, turn from your sins, trust in him for forgiveness, you have all you need. These false teachers have considered that message. They have turned away to find something more to add to it. Paul said there's nothing to add to Jesus. You're satisfied. You're full. You're complete because this is God's answer for your unrighteousness. This is God's answer for your sin problem. This is God's answer for the emptiness that you feel. It is Jesus Christ. But these false teachers see Jesus. They see the message, the proclamation of the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They consider his blessings. They consider his benefits to be deficient. And, oh, here we go. Now we know the right way to supplement him and add some beliefs and add some practices. But what Paul is saying is that this only leaves a person disqualified altogether. If you turn away from Jesus and you're looking for additions for your spiritual walk, you are disqualifying yourself. You are unplugging yourself from being in Christ. And Paul is giving a warning. Don't do that. Don't let someone with their false message, manipulative message, disqualify you, insisting that you must add to Jesus Christ. He alone is sufficient. So here are the things laid out now in this verse, verse 18, of some of the, some of the ways that a false teacher would insist that you add to Jesus Christ. He uses this first word here, asceticism. That is the practice of self-humiliation. It means to intentionally bring yourself low through rituals, like denying yourself food or harsh treatment of the body. Uh, things like intentionally wearing scratchy clothing or not sleeping in a comfortable bed or denying modern conveniences or assistance. This would have been the life of the reformer Martin Luther. He writes extensively about this when he was trying to unburden his soul from sin he said, I thought that the way to do that was to become a monk. 
And so he, he gave up all earthly conveniences as a monk. He said he would turn the heat off in his room. He would sleep on the floor. He would starve himself of food. He said oftentimes to the point of being lightheaded and passing out, he said, I, I, I treated my body so poorly because I wanted my soul to be rich, but I only found that as I did this and I went this pathway, my soul become all the more starved and my soul became all the more uh, poor and sorrowful. He said asceticism was not the way to do this. And so these teachers were blending Christ by also saying, and also, if you do this, if you deny yourself of all of the comforts of the world and you, you treat yourself with, with nothing but intentional humility and you, you beat up the body and you take everything away, you will achieve a higher standing with God. Paul said that's actually just pride sneaking under the surface. It's not humility at all. It's not the true pathway to righteousness and gladness and forgiveness and holiness with God. He said, don't let a false teacher come along and tell you, you must do this. Now, is this to say that discipline in the Christian life is of no value? No, this is not to say that. There are things that are good for us to do, but there is a stark difference, brothers and sisters, when you mention to someone that you can do this versus saying you must do this. There are a lot of things that can be very helpful to us as Christians in our walk. Uh, uh, to get up early and spend time with the Lord and, and pray in the morning, you can do that, and that can give you many blessings. But to tell every Christian, you must get up at 5 a.m., and you must read your Bible for an hour, and you must pray for a half hour before you do anything else, that now is becoming adding to. That is becoming a dominant uh, uh, um, command instead of something that could be helpful to us. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying. Be very leery of a false teacher who comes along to say, you must do this in order to climb the ladder of favor with God. He also mentions the worship of angels. This would be the practice of looking beyond Christ as sufficient and needing to invoke angels for additional help and invoking angels for additional protection. Might also have been in mind that these angels or worshiping angels could be a helpful mediator between us and Christ as though somehow we can't maybe achieve or obtain all the way up to Christ. We need some, an intermediate step and these angels could be that way. Paul is saying, no, that's not true either. That is incorrect. We have direct access to the throne of grace. We have direct access to our Savior, Jesus Christ. We have direct access to all of his blessings and benefits directly we don't need to go through an intermediary here, as these false teachers were saying. We'll just add angels in as well. What harm could it be? What harm could it do? Add this in. Paul says, no, Christ and Christ alone. Finally, in this verse, we see these personal visionary experiences. Uh, this would be a, a false teacher and probably even beyond that, a spiritual culture uh, that would be uh, that would be brewing here, that is preoccupied with personal visions. They take their stand on these personal visions that they receive. What's really hard about this is that no one can really dispute someone's personal vision. And it's really difficult to dispute that. 
Um, but these false teachers were saying and preoccupying themselves with these very personal visionary experiences. And it's easy to see how these self-focused, human-efforted practices could lead to one of these teachers being puffed up and being controlled with sensual ideas, is what the Apostle Paul is saying. They're going on and on and on in detail about these personal visions puffed up without reason by a sensual mind, whether it be greed or, or lust or whatever it could be here. For the false teachers, they've diminished the value of Jesus Christ. They've pulled away from Christ. They've moved away from Christ. They think they are growing spiritually through these other things. So our application here in verse 18, adding external humility, adding angel preoccupation, adding personal visionary experiences, do not add to your walk with Christ. Instead, insisting on additional things outside of Christ will end up leaving you without Christ entirely. This is what he says. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on the addition of these things. We go on to our final verse here, verse 19, and there's a third strategy that the Apostle Paul outlines. It's not just manipulation. It's not just disqualification. But here in verse, 15, verse 19, we see it's also disconnection altogether. False teachers seek to spiritually disconnect you from Christ by pursuing growth that is not from God. Pursuing a growth that does not come from God, being disconnected. Let's look at verse 19. All of those things that he just finished saying in verses 16, 17, and 18, he's saying in verse 19 now, and not holding fast to the head. This is kind of an interesting metaphor he's got here. He's saying... False teachers present a false religion and a false spirituality that is decapitated from Christ. He's using this body metaphor of Christ being the head, the command and control center, and the body, Christians, being, being that true body underneath him. That as we are plugged into Christ, everything works properly and we all grow with the growth that is from God. This is what we're going to see. But right here at the outset... The, the idea is, if you go looking for spirituality or some kind of spiritual high or some kind of spiritual addition apart from Christ, you have decapitated body from head. And what kind of spirituality is that? Verse 19. Not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and its ligaments, it grows with the growth that is from God. And brothers and sisters, that is what we should be about. We want a spiritual growth that is a growth from God. We don't want some artificial growth. Uh, we, we don't want some manufactured growth. We don't want a manipulated growth. We want a spiritual growth that is from God himself. This is why we hold Christ of such great value. Verse 19 really summarizes all that this paragraph is leading up to in his teaching. As Christians, we stay plugged into Christ. We hold fast to Christ. We remain attached to Christ as our command center. We maintain contact with Him. We don't plug into earthly substitutes. For the false teachers, they've diminished, 
this value of Jesus. They have unplugged, they have detached, they have pulled and moved away from Christ. Though they think they're growing spiritually through all the other additional activity, the fact of the matter is they're unplugged from the growth that God gives. They are growing with some falsified growth. So there's a God-supplied growth that comes through Jesus Christ, and there's a false and man-made appearance of growth through these religious rituals. One is nourished and fed and experiences real, true growth from God. The other is detached. It's drying up. Rigor mortis has set in, and the people don't even realize it. Being completely detached, everything is becoming useless and worthless. But look at the beauty here at the end of verse 19. Look at the beauty of what happens in a context of believers that are remaining plugged into Christ. We proclaim God's excellencies here in the gospel. We proclaim Christ died, buried, and risen again here at this church. And what this verse is telling us is there's a beauty when we have a Christ-centeredness, there's a beauty when we proclaim Christ as our avenue to God and Him and Him alone through, for the forgiveness of sins. There's, there's a beauty of growing together. Look again at verse 19. We hold fast to the head from whom the whole body, the entire church, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth from God. The entire body, all the people, receive nutrients and nourishment from Christ their head as we collectively look to him, as we collectively fix our gaze on him, as we collectively put our eyes on Christ and him alone. Christ guides and feeds. The members are nourished and are knit together in closer fellowship. And in doing so, all of us receive the growth from God. Now, we, we probably don't often think of it this way. Probably we think mostly in this, I don't know if this would be across the world, but it certainly would be true of American Christianity. When we think about spirituality, we think about our own individual spiritual growth. Paul has something more wonderful, more glorious, greater and grander in mind here in this verse. He has in mind the collective whole, a, a congregation who together focuses on Christ, all of us. And when that happens, we are all nourished together. We are all knit together. We all grow together as we focus on Christ as the substance of our spiritual walk. God himself causes the growth in this environment. That is God's manufactured greenhouse. He puts believers in the greenhouse and he nourishes us, us by Christ. He grows us with the growth that is from him in Christ. When we do this, we all grow together. Our path of spiritual growth either comes from God through Christ or through some self-appointed false teachers who are nothing but imposters. That is what Paul is pointing out here in this passage today. Most of you are probably aware there's a rather large football game going on later today. There will be seven officials operating at the game. That's how many officials are on the field. 
They all have different uh, assignments. Some of them are looking for proper formations. Some of them are looking for penalties, whether the person was inbounds or out of bounds, whether the clock expired or not. These officials have all of these assignments going on in the field. There's seven of them. Suppose for just one moment that an eighth rogue, self-appointed official runs onto the field. He looks the part. He's got the stripes on. He's got the whistle. He's got the headset. He looks the part, but he is self-appointed. And he begins demanding and requiring unique but non-football actions. He blows his whistle and he tells all the players, you must double knot your shoelaces. He tells all the players, you have to eat a protein bar at halftime. He tells the players, no one gets to see the, uh, the, the, the physical, the athletic trainer, no, no tape, no ankle braces, no nothing. In fact, throw off the helmet, throw off the pads. Let's go out and play real, pure football. This is what this official does. Makes up his own rules, blows the whistle, judges and tells people you're weak if you have to do all of these things. All of this under the umbrella of this is authentic football. This is true this is a higher level. You should and you must do this. The real officials, the real crew, would step in at that point and call him out and say, don't be manipulated by this man's judgment. Don't become disqualified in the game by his regulations. Don't disconnect yourself from what is right and how the game is truly played. Brothers and sisters, that is the message of the Apostle Paul in this passage we've looked at here today regarding false teachers. They are imposters. They are self-appointed referees that hold no authority and no position in God's kingdom. We stick to Christ. We hold fast to Christ. Christ is our substance. To him belongs that. When we do this, when we exalt Christ, his righteousness, his forgiveness, we have a growth that comes from God. That is what we are after. Deep, heartfelt, meaningful, true, and lasting growth from God found in Christ. Let's be about this always. Let's close our time in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, again, just reminding us of the false messages that are out there swirling in this world. A false message that would look to Christ and somehow find something deficient in what he offers. Oh, Lord, may we not be a church that finds Christ deficient, but may we exalt in his salvation. May we lift up and elevate and praise and adore Christ the way that he is presented in Scripture, Lord, the way that you have put him forward as an object of our worship. Lord, might we be plugged in always to Christ and in doing so have a real growth that is from you. Lord, grow us more deeply, fully as we look to Christ in all these things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.